This is Strange Assembly episode 299, Mono no Oware. I'm Chris Stevenson, and here with me today are Jay Earl. Hello. Mike Cook. How's it going? And this is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. Subscribe to this podcast there on the Apple Podcast app or wherever fine podcasts are sold. We are here today to talk about the recently announced demise of the most recent version of Legend of the Five Rings as a competitive card game. Of our listeners who have more recent vintage than our old, 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 all L5R content. Legend of the Five Rings was a competitive, collectible card game produced by Alderac Entertainment Group. Fantasy Flight Games bought the entire intellectual property, and the flagship product for that was Legend of the Five Rings, the card game, a competitive LCG. We've had a few years of that, and let me tip my hat about what I think about this. It has now gone the way of every single other competitive LCG and is now quote-unquote complete, aka they're canceling the game. And so as old L5R grognards, here we are to offer our thoughts and opinions on that. You want to kick it off, Jay? My first thought, of course, is COVID just won't let anything fun live, will it? So I have obviously haven't played in a year because COVID. I hadn't played for a while before that just because I hadn't found a group when I moved out here. But I have been following the story, and the story has been pretty good, has been building towards something interesting. And part of the, hey, we're finishing this up, is they're doing month or two month long bunch of stories to wrap it all up and do you can go go right now if you haven't already and vote on which characters you want to be doing awesome things spoiler alert it should be shiba tsukimi because she's awesome let jay and i just display our clan loyalties by suggesting you go vote for the two dragon characters and the two phoenix characters just saying but yeah this battle of cherry blossom snow there's a single elimination tournament style bracket that you can vote on which will determine who has a more prominent role in this battle against the Shadowlands. And then they've got contests, right? There's a fan fiction contest, there's a cosplay contest, and then some other contest that I'm blanking on right now. Art contest is the third. There you go. It's like a little teeny tiny mini itty bitty race for the throne or something. <laughs> we just need a theme deck competition as the fourth. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, the problem is, to have a theme deck competition, you would have to have a theme deck, and one of the things you may notice about these is that none of them involve actually playing the game. Well, yes. Because that's the thing. I mean, certainly, I don't want to say COVID didn't matter in this, but the ending of L5R seems so anticlimactic. At this point, or like I said, every other competitive has ended. Now, 
some of them you could say, oh, they, they would have had the chance to go on stronger if there hadn't been some IP issue. Like, Netrunner clearly was not planned on ending when it did. But none of them have had, you know, a decade of staying power. And Legend of the Five Rings, the card game, never seemed to get the level of popularity that some of its fellow games did. Don't get me wrong, I mean, it didn't have, like, the license of Star Wars or something like that to help prop it up. I I like L5R, but, you know, it does not have the popularity of Star Wars. But you had also seen it in the personnel things. I mean, there's there's broader trends going on with Fantasy Flight that we can talk about, but I think Five Rings was down to, like, Tyler as this being part of his job, and then Keyforge being part of his job, and then the, that was really it for the dedicated staff working on the LCG. Fantasy Flight has higher standards than that. Again, some of the forward-looking stuff, we could talk about Fantasy Flight versus other options, but that's just not the level of support that you give to something that is a big seller for you that you plan on continuing to make for years and years. So I was anything but surprised when this got announced. Honestly, I don't I don't know how many people were surprised when this got announced, right? Yeah, no, I mean, just of nothing else, of course, a new game, a new iteration like this, you'd expect that some percentage of the old day player base is probably going to convert over and that you, hopefully you capture some new player base when it comes out. But I think it kind of had a messy enough launch that that really kind of hurt it a lot, and it killed a lot of the drive right when they needed it. And so I couldn't even tell you who was actually playing the game anymore, to be frank. I kind of went hard on it for like the first couple of months, but because I was lucky enough to, to be in the playtest, I had already grinded pretty hard on it. So by the time, you know, and we just had Corset, so by the time I was helping people try to learn, I was trying to go to every single opening box uh, or uh, you know core box release set event that i could i just played so much of the set that i just kind of got burnt out on it and also that was where i started to find my problems with the system overall i don't know that it ever overcame there are some other you know production methodology sorts of things that that come into there but i it always felt like the central issue was that the game was just too long for what it wanted to be that the legend of the five rings the ccg was always hailed as the thinking person's magic or you know something that was a higher complexity level and the games were longer and that was certainly the case the legend of the five rings the card game those games were way longer than all five bar games on average it was the sort of thing where people would come on and they'd play it for the first time and they'd be like, oh, what are we doing wrong? It took us like two and a half hours to play our first game. And we know that it's not going to be that long for the second, but wow, that seems long. And you'd have people mouthing off and saying, oh, you're just dumb. If you were any good, you'd be able to finish games in half an hour. And like that was never realistic. This was a game where no, more often than not, tournament games went to time or or like went to the last five minutes before time it was it was a real impediment and it's not that there is not a cadre of people who will embrace that sort of game length and complexity in this format but it it cut a lot of people off and i I mean i'm 
certainly one of them. I mean, I have over the years shifted well away from like being like serious competitive tournament stuff and the fact that I can't a pickup game of L5R was a, a problem. I mean, and I certainly I could never play it with my my kids. It's way too complicated for them, which again, that may be an insoluble problem, yeah. but I it was just above my even my oldest one like being able to pretend to play and I think that that was a real kick right there at the beginning. There were the the always the production delays of things, but there was also the real hampering in that the game design called for seven factions with one of the decks being very rigid about what cards you could include in it. So you had to buy three copies of the core set, and even with three copies of the core set, you had almost no flexibility in what you put in one of your two decks. If you were playing Clan X, then by gum, you were playing like these, <laughs> you know, this 90% of the card base that was available to you. And and that was that. And then and there were just there were just so many things pulling on them from that, right? Like they needed to have seven clans and they needed to have clan mean something and this and that. And it just, it was just hard. It's just a hard, hard. I've kind of come around to the idea that I get why they did what they did in the time frame that they did, right? You buy this IP, you you have to get it back out there pretty fast, I think. Like, you need to give it exactly the right amount of time to let it kind of cool off a little bit and then, you know, have space for a reset. But I think, uh, you know, this is just my opinion, but I think they kind of came at it with, well, they came at it with the design space and headset that they were in at that time. But I think there's a lot of things that, like assumptions or methodologies they were using, that I'm not really sure are actually accurate anymore. The biggest thing probably is that, you know, they say, they were like, okay, well, holdings are basically a mistake. Lands essentially are a mistake. That's, you know, one of the worst things for L5R. So we're going to go to like a static resource system. But I feel like the static resource system was one of the things that made the game kind of stall out. Also, if you're going to change that game, I would be okay with a very different L5R, right? Like, if you're going to change it a bunch already, I would rather it be, like, a more streamlined game where you can pull in the other different aspects. But it kind of felt like, to me, it always felt kind of like a half change. They kept so many things from the old game, and then, you know, it was just layers of complexity, and it, it really, to me, felt like, partially, they just never got enough time to, to play test it, because I think they would have uh, streamlined it. Because also, I think there were like three or four designers on the game when they went to redesign it, right? From the articles I remember reading. Yeah, yeah, it was a group. It wasn't just like, you know, one dude. <laughs> right, it, right, and they had all designed successful games, right? I think they were doing the best that they could do. In retrospect, I think it might have been better to just, you know, you already have the IP, I'm sure that probably included all of the cards. I think it might have been better just to keep with the old system. Maybe you tweak the old system, but you know, then you don't have to have people feel like their entire collection is thrown out. You know, that game system lasted for what, 15, 16 years. It was the second longest running collectible card game by like a pretty wide margin because Pokémon at 99 or 2000 is the next closest and that's like a 4-year difference. 
So, I mean, it's not like... Obviously, AEG constantly changed that game system, right? Like, you see people talking about uh, L5R is a dead CCG, and people are like, oh, what decks do I need? And you actually have to have a talk about, like, what rule system you're going to do, because they're so drastically different. So it's not like AEG ever settled on anything. But it feels like you could have just done an iteration of the rules, and probably, you know, this is retrospect hindsight being not exactly 2020. This is still, like, you know, my opinion or whatever on it. But I think they probably would have burned a, a few less bridges. And also, like you said with the LCG, I think this kind of feeds into the LCG issue. Like, they knew there was issues with the LCG, and they were trying to fix it because you could see, you know, they tried to do something because they did all that whole big release. Like, they understood, okay, we've got one box set, uh, exactly like you said, because there's seven clans, it's spread thin amongst, you know, for the card base. And you have to have multiples, you know, so people have to buy multiple core sets. And they just stuck to that no matter how much people disliked it. Because that had been a, a, a complaint every single time. And I get it, you, you need to sell a certain amount. But I think you could have just made the core set cost more and people would have been happier. You could have maybe have even made more money. I don't know. I don't have the sales numbers on it. But that's that's the number one thing I always heard when the, the game was starting or even when anybody's trying to get into any of those LCGs. Yeah, well, there's there's a lot to unpack in there. I mean, trying to, yeah. to take a reverse order. Of course, they have now released an LCG that you buy one single more expensive box. Now, it's a co-op LCG, which does make differences, but right, that's what Marvel Champions, right? Mm-hmm. Part of that is always like, hey, we make the assessment that we think that's going to be more profitable to sell whatever, which is fine. Their business, that's that's what their point is. Pokemon, I think, came out in the U.S. in 1998. But regardless, yeah, L5 hours around for a while, the CCG. But it's also, you want to ask, like, which version of the CCG? I mean, they they they, yeah. ra- they radically revamped the rules a number of times. There were multiple environments for Legend of the Five Rings over the years that were terrible, that we would never find acceptable today. Like, years on end when entire clans were beyond unplayable. That kind of stuff. You know, everything's always going to have balance issues. I mean, I played L5R for almost all of those years and years and years, so it's obviously not like, I think the thing was some terrible train wreck that had no value or something like that, but it was a card game that was designed in the 1990s. Just the single fact that you got rid of the resource snowballing of province elimination was a giant leap forward. I think that that probably Legend of the, I think that Legend of the Five Rings the card game was a better game than the CCG. And it's interesting that by not just following the CCG, they alienated some portion of old schoolers who were always going to be like, oh, the CCG is the greatest thing ever, and like you can't do anything with the card game. I actually don't think it was that big a portion. I don't know a lot of like prominent old 5R players who were like the new card game came out and they were like, oh, this is awful. They were generally pretty enthusiastic about it. Even if they liked the CCG better, they were still enthusiastic about the card game. It mostly seemed to be like people coming out of the woodwork that I didn't even know. Like, who are you ranting on Board Game Geek about this? I Why? But I do agree with something you you said in that they jettisoned a lot of things and streamlined a lot of things, but there were a lot of thematic elements that they kept. And 
I know that there there were definitely a reasonable number of people who kind of looked at all of those little bits and pieces and said that's just too much. That's just too complicated. Like you have to have an honor condition and a dishonor condition and a military condition, and there has to be an imperial favor. Some of it wasn't that. Obviously, the roles ended up not being particularly popular. I honestly was fine with them, but obviously there were there were people who did that. But I mean, there's a reason why skirmish mode was a thing where they basically said like, so what if we like actually tried to take the game we have but just streamline it a little bit? Would that work better for people? But that's a heck of a thing to try to do years into a game cycle. Again, it's just hard all around. I mean, there are things they could have done differently with the game. I don't know if it would have mattered in the long run. I mean, I think it could have made the game more successful. I don't know if it would ultimately have stopped the game from ending. Maybe it would have just been the sort of thing where like, I could really look firmly look at it and say, yeah, it's, it's because of COVID-19 that this got nixed, but it seems like competitive card games just have a hard time staying in the market at, at any kind of scale, right? Like, all the Fantasy Flights LCG, LCGs have gone. AEG resurrected Doomtown as an ECG, and that went down pretty quickly. But it also got, you know, there's a fan group that is keeping it alive. It's not the same size. Not just a fan group, that game is still being made. Right. By Pinebox, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's more than like a, a fan committee or whatever. They, act, they actually have a company that's making new cards. And there were a decent number of people who said like, oh, why don't you try to pick up L5R? And I think he, you know, actually went and, you know, at least he posted that he reached out to Fantasy Flight about getting it or whatever. and. I would love it if, if L5R continued to that sort of format, but it's one of those interesting things, because one of the questions then is, like, where does L5R go from here? And actually, before I do that, I know I, I have not heard Jay in a bit, so you got to have something to jump in on all this nonsense Mike and I have been blathering about, Jay. No, I've immediately forgotten what I was going to say. I was <laughs> enjoying listening to Mike. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, talking about the different eras of the CCG, I definitely think that is an important thing to remember is, I remember shortly before the change of hands, somebody was like, hey, I found these old Imperial decks, let's play them and see what happens. And it was like, it felt like a similar game, but just completely different in how, how it played, how it was structured, how the cards worked. That last round, what was it? What was the last era of the game? Was a lot about building up things and making, taking the first couple turns to build up your resources so you can afford really big units and really big stuff and having epic fights. And that Imperial, the first edition of the game, the game that was launched in 96, was all about okay, I blitz out some stuff really quick and oh, turn three is done, and some, somebody's probably already won by now. So yeah, the the game definitely changed and evolved over the years, and I think that was a large part of its longevity, was it was its willingness to change and try to fix things. Yeah, so the final arc that actually happened was Ivory Edition, right? Yes, that sounds right, now that you say that. I thought there was one after Ivory. The last full arc was ivory edition and 20 festivals was a base set but 
that I wasn't even that wasn't a completed arc really. And then that was yeah. Then, Didn't it have rules changes? I thought Twenty Festivals had some kind of rules changes with it. I'm sure it had something. Right. I can't even remember anymore. Like there was a drastic revamp for Ivory Edition. Oh yeah. Twenty Festivals was yeah, was, yeah, twenty fifteen now. So tw- twenty festivals came out not on this exact day, but twenty festivals came out six years ago. The tail end was twenty festivals, Thunder Gleam, and I, and then Evil Portents, I believe, was the last physical set that got a physical release, right? And then there was like the like, oh, this is what we were gonna do, and then oh, here's big giant leaks, and right, the next base set was gonna be the. The next, the buildup was going to be the Shadowlands take over everything or whatever. I mean, there was a whole mess there. I, I mean, that's there was a whole mess of messes in in L5R as its entire over history. all the various years. We were probably part of some of them. Jay, did you have more train of thought in there? Probably, but it's gone. Okay. So I guess the the next sort of question is. Like what? What comes next for L five R? Like the the article on Fantasy Flight that they announced the quote unquote completion of the Legend of the Five Rings, the card game, was called the Future of a Legend. I found that title somewhat laughable. Not that there wasn't anything about the future of L five R, but it really was not about the future of L five R. The Legend of the Five Rings role playing game will continue to be published, just not by Fantasy Flight. Legend of the Five Rings novels will continue to be published, but not by Fantasy Flight. There's been one Legend of the Five Rings board game from Fantasy Flight while it's had the license. More of those could come out. I'd love to see that, but there wasn't anything announced here like that. It's just like a, oh, hey, we still have it. We still want to do stuff for it. That board game also didn't really get a whole lot of fanfare. Like, it came out, but they didn't really market it pretty heavily it, to the best of my memory. Like, it kind of came out and people kind of knew about it, but it didn't have the push I was kind of expecting it to have. It wasn't a big game. It was like a $20, $30 game, which is definitely not a big game for Fantasy Flight. It was like Arkham Final Hour, you know? It's like this little smaller game that we're going to toss out, but not one of our big premiere things. So one of the questions is, what happens to L5R generally? I mean, L5R is so spread out now, like everything. Asmodee is. I doubt anyone is coming along with the wherewithal to be, to like actually buy the IP. Would Fantasy Flight license? Well, in the the RPG is doing pretty well, isn't it? Like I, I've never heard anything bad. Like everybody seems pretty glowing about the RPG for the most part, unless people just hate the systems with an, a different die, like a specific die or whatever. That's the only. There's definitely those. Look, I'll I'll take any way I can get Legend of the Five Rings games, but if it goes out to a small company it's it's going to be a much level lower production volume right you're not going to get even the volume of stuff that fantasy flight had if somebody else is taking up for it they just have people just aren't going to have the kind of resources you'd have to like have a kickstarter and raise a pile of money and then spend a couple of years sitting on you know using everyone's money to like hire people to work it out i and I'm honestly kind of okay with that. I would like to see more L5R. I don't really particularly need right now in my life to see more L5R, the competitive tournament card game. And maybe there are, there are people out there who'd probably say that's just not L5R at all. But I would love to see like some good L5R 
board game. I would love to see board games or just like other small games that are set in L5R or heck, they can even make a cooperative LCG. Although, because those seem to have a lot more staying power, even though I don't like them as much. If they could make like a giant L5R box, an app-enabled cooperative L5R game, that would be great. That would be great. I love those games. Like, I think they would just need to change the scale, right? Like, we're used to L5R being, you are the, I think, daimyo of their family, right? And you are coordinating these large scales. It would be very easy to boil it back down to something more like Arkham, where you're playing a character, right? And characters are what people get attached to in L5R. Like, that's what, I mean, you do get attached to your clan, of course, but really it's the characters that people really like. And so you could really much more easily demonstrate like okay you are playing this character you know people attach to that it, i'm not saying it, it's a one for one because a lot of l5r in the past has also been strife between the clans and that feels a lot harder to do in an lcg but lord knows i would play it and, and they've also right if you look at marvel champions and arkham they've really started to advance how they release because they're doing like you know playable decks that they release in the cycles just kind of flow better but yeah fingers crossed and that kind of brings us a bit to one of the other things with is just that this is fantasy flight which means something very different than it did five years ago at least to me if this was sort of fantasy flight at its prime i'd be like oh yeah i mean they're not announcing anything yet but you know that they've got stuff in in the pipeline i remember not that long ago, when like one of the big things at Gen Con was what's going to be in the in-flight report? What is Fantasy Flight announcing? What are the new products that are going to be in those cubic glass shelves that they put out, you know, the components the day after the in-flight report where you can see things for the first time? And now, I'm like, I have a hard time thinking about what Fantasy Flight, what new stuff Fantasy Flight is actually working on. Descent, that's pretty much it. Yeah, so this was the thing. So I had in my head one thing, Descent. Like, I know Descent's coming. I know Descent is something I'm looking forward to. It's, like, really expensive, but I know I'm looking forward to it. Because I know they just came out with the X-Men version of Elder Sign or something like that. But And I wanted to look, because I'm like, that can't be all that Fantasy Flight is coming out. There must be just other stuff that I'm kind of forgetting about. And you know what? There isn't. Now, I know that it's been true for years that fantasy flight does a lot of like oh we have a success with this and then we we do lots of sorts of expansions that for it but to see what was coming out for this i went to fantasy flight and looked at their upcoming releases page and their their upcoming releases there's descent there's a few arkham horror things so there's arkham horror the card game there's marvel champions there is another keyforge set but then after that you have L5R RPG products, which is just the tail end of that line before they hand it off to Edge. You've got the tail end of the Legend of the Five Rings stuff. You've got what I assume are their last in-house produced Legion things. And that's it. There's an Arkham Horror expansion, one new game, Descent Legends of the Dark, and then you've got Keyforge, Marvel Champions, and Arkham Horror, the card game. They're... That's it. That's all that's in the pipeline, apparently. I don't know what's left of Fantasy Flight. And it's, it is so strange to me because 
I get that they're part of a larger company now. And even if you don't get into discussions about like who owns Asmodee and what you think about private capital and whatnot, like Fantasy Flight was one of the biggest names, maybe the biggest from a cachet point of view, not a capitalization point of view, biggest names in the designer board game industry. And now they don't feel like much of anything. The role-playing games have been taken away from them. The fiction has been taken away from them. The miniatures games, which have been such an enormous part of them, have been taken away from them and given to a company I've never even heard of. And I believe, not like a, they moved the same people over to that different company, and so it's just going to be the same people, the same team designing the game, just under a different name. Although I don't know why you'd even bother to do that. So I don't, I don't understand what, from a corporate perspective, what the point of all this is. Like, wh- why you're moving these things around. So from my, not that I actually know, but my guess at all this, and I think what you're saying is right, and it does look very strange from the outside. And certainly we have to think about all the folks who did lose their job because there, you know, there were certainly layoffs there. Or at least part of restructuring, especially RPGs, went from having staff writers to amazingly going to more freelance work. So, you know, I want to keep that in mind. But also, from a corporate structure, I think maybe this does actually make sense to me. Fantasy Flight, although it got saved by, what, the uh, uh, the Disc Wars, which is more of a collectible product, they were known for board games. And so then stuff like X-Wing is adjacent to that, you know, it's essentially the same thing. But they kind of got away from board games for a long time. Yes, they put out board games, but their board games, at least to me, they were a lot more hit or miss. Well, for a long time, their board games were just like my favorite products. Like they just kept putting out some of my favorite board games of all time. And then it just, it felt like the shift was more onto the X-Wing and more onto maybe more of the LCGs. And I get it. They were probably making more money off of those things. But, you know, like Android Netrunner, that setting is what everybody really loves about the game. You know, people do like the core mechanics, but the setting is really what people, you know, what drives people for that game. Kind of the same with L5R. And that came from their board game, right? It came from the Android board game, which I don't even think is a particularly great. But I don't think many people do. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there was a reason it was, it was always in their sale and it never went out of their sale, like their flash sales or whatever. But at the same point, if they put out Civilization in the past couple of years, and Civilization, A New Dawn, I love that game. It's really, really good. So my hope is, my hope is, that yes, they've taken away a lot of the stuff that people have now thought of as Fantasy Flight, right? They like com- comprised a lot of Fantasy Flight stuff. But my hope is that that allows Fantasy Flight, uh, that studio, to get back to board games, right? You know, they take away X Wings, somebody else is dealing with X Wing. They take away the RPGs, or, you know, take away makes it sound like, oh, we're taking these toys from you. But it can also just mean, hey, we're redistributing what we have where. In a lot of ways, I feel like Fantasy Flight got bogged down in maintenance. Exactly like you said, they would put out a game and they put out like 15 expansions or whatever, right? You are absolutely right about them being a big highlight of whenever they did the in-flight report. But I mean, 80 to 90% of the in-flight report was what expansion am I getting for my games, right? Like maybe they would put out one or two games, it maybe would hit, maybe it wouldn't. I'm kind of excited, potentially, not saying it will, but like I'm, this is what I'm hoping, this is me being hopeful about it. 
I'm hoping it allows them to actually get back into the business of board games and pushing those products like they have in the past. Because Descent is very exciting to me. The new Descent looks very, very good. It's kind of funny, too, that how things have changed, whereas Fantasy Flight for a long time were known as just like, I don't know exactly the Rolls Royce, but certainly like they gave you a very high quality game, but also they cost you a lot. And now with Kickstarter and everything, it's shifted so much. This Descent is not even that expensive compared to a lot of the other Kickstarter projects that have come out. <laughs> so it's kind of weird to me how just how much everything has changed in general. But that's that's my hopeful take. Hopefully each of the studios is able to be more successful since they're going to be able to focus on something that they're doing. And that allows the designers at Fantasy Flight to be more specialized and to be more... And as far as the future at Fantasy Flight for L5R, I believe Steve Horvath is still there and it's still pretty high position. And he very clearly has a large love for the game. So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that means good things in the future. Like, I, like, I think they do mean to do stuff with it. And I would love to see our L5R board games. And I kind of thought about it from the perspective that you were talking about. But the thing that... I dearly hope I'm wrong, but the thing that makes me feel pessimistic about it is, like I said, I look at that upcoming schedule and you're talking like, wouldn't it be great if Fantasy Flight could just refocus on board games or sort of original bread and butter, right? Like, you know, Twilight Imperium, right? That was a <laughs> the big early thing for them. Except that their currently announced plate of products for the rest of this year has exactly one new board game on it. Well, right, but I, I think uh, what they've been involved with for the last six months to a year is the restructuring. It just takes a lot of time to do that stuff. And so, you know, I could be wrong. I'm hoping that this is the way that is. I, I think now most of that stuff is basically finished up. We're going to start seeing announcements again in the beginning of the year. Well, also, COVID slowed everything down, right? Because when your already existing products aren't coming out, you know, you pro and distribution's kind of weird, your projects in the pipeline start getting reassessed, reevaluated, and you're having all this restructuring done. So I'm guessing all of these things factor into what they're releasing. So I I'm guessing 2021 will probably be pretty calm, but hopefully they'll announce something around Gen Con time for a really exciting 2022 or 2023. Yeah, and what what is Gen Con to be? Gen Con going to be? That could be a a whole other bit of speculation. Yep. But I'm going to I'm going to go back to the to the well again and be like, "Jay, there's supposed to be three of us on this. <laughs> Jump in here." Okay. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm content to let you guys talk, but yeah, no, I agree. I remember back in the day, the in-flight report was the hot ticket to get and you had to actually get the ticket and get in line and then before it happened, because it used to be, like, Saturday, I think, and so you'd go by their booth Thursday, and there'd be all these spots, it's like, come see what shows up here on the in-flight report, and you'd be like, ooh, what could be going in that spot? And then they have the in-flight report, and ooh, look at that giant miniature that they've put in to show us what, what we're going to be getting soon enough, and... Yeah, it's, uh, I, I remember Fantasy Flight being the booth that I would, I and many others would beeline for when the doors opened to make sure you got in line and got the tickets so you could actually get whatever their that year's hot release was and being limited to two or what have you. And yeah, I just don't know what to be excited for from them anymore, sadly. 
Well, and the funny thing is, as much as I, I talk about how how big the in-flight report was, and it really was, I never never went to an in-flight report. I never watched an in-flight report. It's funny because I'm right. You know, I've been doing this podcast for ages. I am just not what like a company once in a, a in a board game. Let's let's use this word loosely. Journalism, right? Like which is. The, what passes for a convention these days, which is like watching a stream where they talk about their products. I'm like, I have no interest whatsoever in, in watching a stream of a company announcing their products. That takes forever. Just like, uh, hand me your, your press release or your article. That's much faster to read than sitting through this. But, but man, people, people love that. People love the in-flight report. I went to or watched almost every single one. Do you know the two that I did not go to or the two that they released free products at? I missed the one with Keyforge, and I missed the one where they announced the Star Wars RPG. Those were the only two I didn't go to, and those were the only two where they actually gave free stuff out. I was not super pleased about that with, you know, just my luck or whatever, but I loved going in and seeing that stuff. You know, as much as I, I'm talking about the expansions or whatever. Yeah, I love seeing new stuff, but it is, the stream's actually better, because if it gets boring, you just, like, you look at your phone or something, and, and it's fine. Um, or, or you, like you said, you can just skip later and see the the summaries, right? Because there's going to be a million and a half summaries. I don't even need someone else's summary, which is, I mean, theoretically, what one would do as a covering that. And I do. I mean, I go to Gen Con as press, and I I do that. It's just that I would like to, when I'm at Gen Con, I want to play some new thing and then be able to talk about what playing it is, not just regurgitate for you what fantasy flight or some other company i mean we're talking about fantasy flight but you know like everybody does this i I, there's some of that and some individual things you get excited about but i I don't go to gen con to spend you know like my entire time doing that and you can get that sort of thing like filtered through someone like us and there's some content curation value in that too but fantasy flight's gonna be there's gonna be an article on their website the next day announcing all that stuff anyway right? You know, even if you don't go to some intermediary to summarize it for you. I just, it's one of the interesting things for me as a, as a practical matter, I can consume information so much more quickly if it's handed to me in a written form than if I have to sit down and watch like a video of someone telling me about that information. And so I know that for a lot, a lot of people, they're preferred way to get information and other stuff is in a video format but i personally just so much prefer written stuff because it lets me get my information so much more quickly like not board game news like plain old just generic news unless it's some sort of breaking thing i get all that by reading i don't turn on a news report and watch a news report because i can get that same information Writing it faster. Maybe that's why we at Strange Assembly still don't really do squat in the realm of video because it's just this is ultimately a hobby, and so it, the, the form it delivers stuff in is the form I consume stuff in, right? I don't know, but I don't know what the option is other than hoping that Fantasy Flight really kicks back into high gear and gives us some quality L5R stuff, and I hope they do. I. I the one board game that's on their calendar is a board game I'm very interested in. It sounds like you and I have different points of view about how attractive the price point is, Mike. But... <laughs> oh, no, no. I, I'm not saying that it's like like some super great price point. I just You remember for years, they were the most expensive board game in town, unless you went to like super specialty, like war games type stuff. 
because you would actually get charged like 80 or or $100 for a game when nobody else wanted to much pop past 60 Right, well, and I think Twilight Imperium was the first of those, but they had Twilight Imperium, they had the World of Warcraft board game, they had StarCraft the board game, and they were all those big boxes that were bigger than my torso, you know, and they were like a <laughs> hundred bucks, and you got a lot of plastic in them, you, you know, not anything like what you get now. I think what they're asking for descent is pretty fair for market price. Uh, I just all my my only comment was that I find it funny that. If they were to release this product years ago, it probably still would have been successful, but people might have balked a little bit more. And now I don't think I've really not heard many people say like, "Oh my god, this is so expensive." Like, there's been so many uh, Kickstarters where people have spent like three hundred plus dollars or whatever for for a board game that Descent barely registers in a lot of ways. Well, I, I definitely have heard people comment on it as expensive, but you're, you're absolutely right that this is way less than some. Kickstarter miniatures game where you have to like where you're all in pledge is like three hundred dollars and I I mean I think the chances of this being a good game are drastically higher than most of those because some of that right. Kickstarter stuff like you have no idea what you're getting like there a lot of those Kickstarter miniatures games you get a gigantic pile of miniatures you're never gonna play with all of them unless you spend like the next two years just playing this game and there's a higher than one might like percentage of those that they come out and if you're not like really just the super enthusiastic person you're kind of like eh this thing could have used some really serious more playtesting uh i think jay may have kickstarted the most board games out of all the three of us what, what do you think about the price point jay yeah it's definitely a high price point as you say and i definitely have i definitely for a while there was a little addicted to kickstarter though i was a broader kickstarter so I usually don't go for the here's eight tons of miniatures for eight million dollars ones. So the price point's still kind of high to me, but you're right. In comparison to a lot of Kickstarters I've seen, it's not like, oh no, that's way too much money ever. It's high enough that I'm like, okay, I want to make sure I'm getting my my money's value out of this. I'm not just gonna pre order this without looking at it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I like Descent, and they already previewed some of the systems for it, right? At, uh, I think, at Gen Con, or maybe it was BGG Con. And I just think it's cool. They have a bunch of stuff, like, you can go up. They've got the app integration stuff. It looks really good. But, but yeah, it, I mean, both the miniatures have gotten more expensive, but even, like, the regular board games have gotten generally more expensive. I feel like I very infrequently see games like the old cheap games that were, you know, his whole core identity was, hey, board games are largely, you know, the same. The pieces are largely the same that you have to keep paying for. I'm just going to give you, like, the actual game itself. Everything just basically has to be produced. And I feel like Fantasy Flight was one of the people that really kind of pushed that. And Descent kind of sits on the on that edge, right? Because it's definitely going to have models and people are going to like the models. But I feel like people are going to buy it more for the fact that it's a board game than for the models. But certainly there will be people, people who do that. The fact that I'm talking about this tells me it's time to swing it back to L5R and wrap it up. But you may be amused to know, yeah. Mike, <laughs> that I currently have 17 Kickstarters that I have backed that I haven't received the... Wow, I'm not amused. That's really infuriating. What on, are, like, are these expected? 
I'm not saying that there's something wrong. Oh, okay. I'm just saying like that's the sort of like that there are things that are like inordinately delayed. It's just that's how many things I've backed. A lot of I mean, two of them are books, not games, and many of the games are role playing games, including, of course, amusingly for this sort of thing and my suggestion of of doing the Kickstarter for <laughs> UNL Five R something. One of them is, and I know you back this too, the Vampire the Masquerade <laughs> expandable oh, yeah, card game, which is just another <laughs> yeah. competitive LCG. Yep. Oh my gosh. So. I don't need it to be a competitive LCG. I just want it to be a fun game. I, like, I really, unless it's going to be a CCG and really try to push to be, play with those dogs, which I don't really need it to, I'm fine with it just being like a smaller, fun expansion and I play with things. I know they're trying to do OP with that. And I think this kind of ties back into the L5R. It's just real hard to compete with that. And I think part of it is, it, right, people are going crazy on collectibles right now. Like, Pokemon is just out of this world. Even Yu-Gi-Oh! and Magic as well are, are seeing some of this effect, uh, the bang-on effects. So people are just, like, in a collection craze. And that's just something an LCG is never going to be able to hit. In fact, that was, to some extent, kind of the point of an LCG. Mm -hmm. That it's not a collectible. That you just get your game and you just play it. I still really like the model for the thing. It's just... Man, if I if I spent more time focusing on on any one thing, but what is anyhow? Yeah. I, I just I want to say that I'm sad that L5R went under again, and intellectually I we're not L5R went under, but the, like that L5R the card game was completed, like the Phyrexian. <laughs> Completed. Intellectually, I am, but emotionally, I can't say that emotionally, I'm actually emotionally saddened by this because it was already baked in. I always assumed this was going to come. As you know, Jay emphasized it's been a year since you even had the hypothetical possibility of playing in some sort of tournament with this. I hadn't actually played in like a tournament of L5R in substantially longer than that because it's just not the sort of thing that I. And I just wasn't able to like just randomly play pickup games of it in the same way that over this, you know, kind of time frame, I got into Magic a lot more because that let me do like pseudo tournamenty, like light tournament stuff, and also just like do pickup games with friends and with the kids and that kind of stuff. Well, and also has Arena, which you can't really just continually being able to play a game, just you know, keeping in it it goes a long way to wanting to do more pickup games of it. So my, my L5R, the card game, will, I suspect, end up on a shelf here all with all the cards, you know, neatly sorted by clan and all that next to my Legend of the Five Rings, the CCG, which takes up way more shelf space. I'll tell you, it's <laughs> like an entire, like, four shelves all on its own next to my Star Wars, the card game, probably someday next to my Vampire the Masquerade, <laughs> the ECG, and and there we will sit there feeling all shiny. Man, I wish I were fractionally as organized. I've just got like boxes and drawers and piles of different games splayed about. The thing that's not in any kind of organized sort of way really is is my old Decipher CCG stuff and. I vacillate back and forth on my stuff. There is part of me that will like go through my shelves and be like, why on earth do you need to take up space with all of this stuff? 
But then there's the part of me that like just can't let stuff go. Like I haven't played the Star Trek CCG in forever. I mean, like I, I don't more than a decade. But it was just a huge thing for me at one point in time, and it's so hard to let it go. L five R at some point. I had this, the CCG, I had this vague goal of like trying to get one each of, if not all the cards, almost all the cards. So like my L5R CCG cards are in binders, sorted by set, and then like sorted by type and alphabetized. I have lists on my computer of the cards that I need, but it would just be this huge effort to go out and get them and I just never get back around to it but I'm not going to get rid of these these are going to sit here taking up space until someday I like retire and move to a tiny apartment in Greenwich Village and space requires me to you know get rid of it I I don't know it's kind of funny uh, right, I don't know if it's funny it's the right word but my L5R had actually been packed up and on its way to my storage facility like six months ago <laughs> I, I kept collecting for quite a while. You know, I just always intended, oh, I'll go back, I'll go back. And then Skirmish came out, and I was like, oh, okay, maybe this is something I can interact with. But I, I just it was really hard to get anybody actually back interested in it. So, yeah, I, of course I'm sad that it died, but also I feel like it kind of struggled along for a number of years. And I, I don't want to diminish anybody's, you know, people definitely worked hard on that still. But it, it just was not, and I never felt like it got the backing and resources you might expect that it would, or that you might hope that it would. It unfortunately was never, I don't think, able to live up to that enormous, enormous release tournament. Well, there were like there were a thousand people, right? In that release tournament at Gen Con when the game first came out. Yeah. That was so promising, and it just felt like it so quickly hit a wall of people going, oh my god. This is too much for me. Yeah. I don't know. Jay, final thoughts? Like a lot of things over the last year, I miss getting to go to a store and hang out with people and flop cards and do that sort of thing. And I am very sad to see L5R go. But at the same time, you're right. I I haven't played it in years because just hadn't had anyone to play it with. and. I'm not surprised that it's done. I'm a little surprised about when, because I did think, following the story, that they were building... They had a longer plan than, oh, hey, Akuma no Oni's showing up, things just got real, y'all. But yeah, I'm going to miss it. I'm sad to see it go. But all good things. Uh, Are you sad they never came out with a playable Nizumi faction again? Very. <laughs> I am indignant about that fact, yes. I'm honestly... So they've announced that there's the, the three comp contests for the end that we've already talked about, one of which is a fiction writing contest, and I am horrible fiction writer, but I'm nonetheless tempted to write a Nozomi-based fan fiction to submit to that. Please do. Please. Okay. Please do. Okay. <laughs> the Crab Clan novella was like half about the Nozomi, so... I know, I loved it. It was great. Yeah. I... <laughs> I'm not saying it's going to be bad. I just want to see what you write. That's it. Oh, I'm writing it, so it will be terrible. Don't worry. 
<laughs> and and when it doesn't get selected, then we can publish it up on the Strange Assembly website, and everyone can revel in the terribleness. If there is not at least two unforgivable puns per page, I will be disappointed. Okay, now I kind of just want to try to figure out how to work in, you're tearing me apart, Lisa, into there somewhere, too. <laughs> just if we're, like, really leaning into how bad this is going to be. Amazing. Well, the, the advantage of leaning into how bad it is, is that it shields you from, like, any kind of disappointment about the reaction, right? Like, if you try and it's bad, then, like, you feel bad. But if you're if you're aiming for bad, then people won't criticize you and you'll feel okay. You know? <laughs> uh, you would think that. I, That's yeah, not really no, the case. No. <laughs> <laughs> because you're still aiming for a certain type of bad, and it's still easy to miss that. <laughs> yeah, Chris, there's a reason I'm willing to put myself out there with bad fiction. I am not even going to try the art contest. <laughs> well, yeah, that's... I did write a fiction many, many moons ago when that was a contest for probably the race for the throne, but I did not win, let's just say that. I mean, we won the race for the throne, but I did not win that particular yeah. contest. No, yes. I do not foresee myself writing this fiction and going the spooky route of them being like, oh, you're awesome, come work for us. No. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe they won't use a lot of anti-plagiarism software. You can just, like, go into some of the books and, like, lift some passages. and. It was the best of times. It was the nizumiest of times. <laughs> Wasn't there a movie called The Day After Tomorrow? Couldn't you just, you know, replace all the characters with Nezumi? <laughs> right? That was their big theme, wasn't it? Yeah, tomorrow was a big day for the Nezumi. Yes. Yep. That came that one time in that continuity that doesn't exist anymore. Alright, so that is our thoughts on the completion of Legend of the Five Rings, the card game, and a variety of tangents based off of that. I wish that we were coming back to a Legend of the Five Rings episode for happier news, but say la vie. La vie. <laughs> that is the kind of quality work that we expect to see in your fan fiction, Jay. <laughs> okay. Uh, you have been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to the podcast there or on the Apple Podcasts app, from Amazon, but wherever it is that you do that, but but mostly if it's if it's Apple, please leave us a rating or review. It helps other people discover the show. You can also find us on the usual social media. We're at Strange Assembly on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Strange Assembly, and at Strange Assembly on Instagram. You can also reach out to me directly. I'm Chris at StrangeAssembly.com. I always love to hear from our readers and listeners. But until then, for Jay Earl and Mike Cook, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming.